Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for such a beautiful, gorgeous day. And we're reminded that your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, we look to you for mercy. We look to you for grace. We look to you for understanding and wisdom and direction. And Lord, that you will keep us right in that straight and narrow path that leads to life. Lord, thank you for what you have in store today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin with Isaiah 64, 8. Notice what it says on the screen. But now, O Lord, you are Father. We are the clay, but you are the potter. And all of us are but the work of your hands. It's so important to to go back and remember really who we are, our position, our relationship to God. He is our Father. And I think that's why the Lord has given us this great prayer of Paul for the church and for every believer. It's probably the second most important prayer in the whole Bible, ranking second only to the model prayer. That is the Lord's model prayer in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Like the Lord's prayer, it should be a prayer for every believer every day. And certainly this is the reason God has included it in the Holy Scripture. The prayer was so important that it drove Paul to his knees, bowing as a sign of desperate need and dependency. And sometimes we forget that. We forget our position and who we are. We are desperate people. We are in desperate need of a God to save us and keep us until that day. And that's what he's willing to do and he will do for those that call upon his name. Well, let's look first again at Galatians chapter 3 and we'll begin at verse 14 and we're going to look at the Spirit's power. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father and from whom every family in heaven and earth drives its name. He uses that phrase, for this reason, it picks up after a parenthesis. That is verses 2 through 13 in this same chapter. He begins by repeating the words of verse 1. The reason about which Paul speaks, therefore, is found in chapter 2. For this reason, because of God's greatness, greatness of God's plan. Look at verse 5. For we were dead in our transgressions, but made alive in Christ. Look back in verse 10. We were his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In verse 19, no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens and saints and are of God's household. Look at verse 20. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone. And finally, in verse 22, are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. See, Paul now prays for the Ephesians 
to use the power that Christ provides to draw from his resources, to appropriate what has already been given to you and me. Now, what I like is Paul's posture. That is, his posture of prayer is seen in those words, I bow my knee. It shows that a person, he's utterly dependent upon God. He's earnest. He's reverencing God. And he's humble. See, we don't come to God, hey, dude, hey, man, upstairs. That doesn't show reverence. That doesn't show an earnestness. We are praying to the God who created the heaven and earth. The God who holds all things together by his very word. See, Paul prayed to God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was praying to the God who listens and the God that answers his prayer. He was not praying to a ceiling or thin air or or lifeless concept. No, he was praying to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the only true and living God, and to the very God who would hear his prayer and respond to his prayer. First, Paul was praying to God, not to Mary, not to some saint. Scripture never tells us to pray to anyone but to God Almighty. And when we pray, we pray in the name and in the authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the true and living God. Second, by praying to the Father God, this primarily signifies God's parental relationship to Jesus Christ. This also reminds us that God's fatherly relationship to all of creation, but especially to believers as children of God. See, Paul prays for the strengthening of the believer. Look down at verse 16. And that he would grant you according to the riches of glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in that inner man. That's speaking of his heart. And while there was very great emphasis on a physical strength in that age, but such strength is insignificant compared to spiritual strength. Now, when we talk about spiritual strength, we talk about this word power, deutimus, which means specifically a miraculous power. And usually it's the implication of a a miracle itself. The word ability, abundance, meaning might or mightily deed or worker of a miracle. We need to learn to receive our strength from the Lord. Notice Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. But how do we do that? Isaiah 40 makes it very clear. Let me show you in verses 29 and 31 on the screen. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though a youth grows weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet to those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Strength comes from the Holy Spirit. I love that passage in Zechariah 4.6. Then he said to me, 
This is the word of the Lord of Zerubbabel saying, not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. There needs to be a profound confidence and dependence on God is a must. See, Psalm 27.1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Well, look again. We're going to see in verse 17, Christ indwelling. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, there can be no spiritual power where Christ is not honored. If by faith Christ dwells in us, then the Spirit will take the things that are Christ and show them through us. Notice that word in verse 17, that word dwell means permanent. Not not temporary dwell, but permanent. Christ takes a permanent residence up in you and me to live and be at home, to enter and settle down and be at home. Is Christ at home in you? Have you put out the welcome mat? He has come in. His indwelling spirit is the assurance that we're in Christ. I like John 14, 23 too. It says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our bow with him. In Revelation chapter three, speaking to the church of Laodicea, which is a, a church, really, they were going through the moves. They, they had the, again, that, that image that they were church. But they were unsaved. He says to them, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. God, God of all creation. The Spirit of God desires to dwell in you and have intimate fellowship with you. In fact, when he does, that's the true sign of belonging to God. It's not an outward mark on our body. It's it's not saying that we're a Christian. No, it's the regenerating power of the Spirit within us. I like again Titus 3, 5 through 7. He saved us not on the basis of our deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Look again, Romans 8, verses 14 through 16. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these, these only, I'm adding that word only, these are the sons of God. See, those are being led by the Spirit of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of that believer's standing in Christ. 
I like First Thessalonians chapter one verse six. It reminds us what God was doing in the the Thessalonians. Paul saying to them in his letter, "You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, with a joy in the Spirit." They were imitators of of the Lord. They received it in tribulation. But notice it was with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of all they were going through, there was this unspeakable joy. Nothing could rob them of that joy. Verse 17, let's go back and look at it. In in that area, B part, we see the Lord's abundance. The Lord's abundance. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with the saints what the is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. The Lord's abundance. When God comes in to you and me, he fills us, he grounds us, he assures us, he comforts us, he fills us with joy. See, we will experience this spiritual abundance only when we keep Christ in the center of our lives. To be rooted and grounded in his love is is to be established in love as a way of life. John 13 makes it very clear in verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I've loved you. He gives the example that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, and if you have love for one another. See, this is the mark of a believer. A life of love is a life that's marked with kindness, selflessness, brokenness, and meekness. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. Notice, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, and love does not brag, and it's not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not easily provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, one thing I I know about love, you cannot separate love and peace. Love and peace cannot be separated. Look again at Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the fruit of being rooted and grounded in love is like what Psalm 1-3 says, like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, 
And whatever he does, he prospers. When we understand this, we become imitators of God. Ephesians 5, look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you as an offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It pictures that sacrificial love. That's the love you and I are to love with. Look at again verse 19. It begins that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. The totality of something as it is brought to completion is being filled. Jesus Christ is seen in expressing the full nature and purposes of God. So believers may be assured that through Christ they may know God as he really is. Believers are also being brought to the fullness through the gospel. Although the final fullness of joy and understanding will take place only in that future kingdom. Colossians makes it very clear. Chapter 2, verse 9. I'll begin there. For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in a bodily form. In him you've been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised up with him through faith, in the working of God who's raised him up from the dead. And see, that talks about baptism, our, our identification. We've identified with his, his death and his resurrection. And then Ephesians tells us again, chapter 2, where is workmanship? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before the foundation of the world, and that we should walk in them. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, And there has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God who started this great work in you will keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish the very day of Christ Jesus appears. And at the same time, what that's referring to, that that very day of Christ Jesus, that's the rapture of the church. Well, look with me, the glory of God. It's down there in verse 20 in our text today. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever. Amen. The prayer closes with this spontaneous praise of God. It is soul-inspiring doxology. And to some, the preceding request may be vast and bold and even seemingly impossible Stop and think, God is able to do more in this connection than we can ask or think. 
We'll look up on the screen for a second. Notice what I've got there. Notice the word able. And under that it says able to do. And able to do what we ask. And he's able to do what we think. He's able to do what we ask and think. He's able to do all that we ask and think. He's able to do all that we ask or think. He's able to do abundantly above all that we ever ask and think. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly more above all that we ever ask or think. How God answers our prayers is given in the expression according to the power that works in us. This refers to the Holy Spirit who is constantly at work in our lives seeking to produce fruit of a Christ-like character. See, we're simply to, to submit to Him, to trust in Him, to allow Him to move in and through us. See, at times, the Holy Spirit will rebuke us in our sin and he will guide us in our prayer to confess and repent. He will also, in our prayer, inspire us to worship and direct us to serve the King who is worthy of all glory. The Holy Spirit inspires believers to exalt and praise and worship and thank Him. His aim is to glorify the Father in the Son. The Holy Spirit never exalts Himself, but He will exalt Jesus Christ. And the very fact when you and I exalt Jesus Christ, when we do come in prayer and we praise and we worship and we do serve again is the evidence of Christ living in us through his Holy Spirit. The more that we yield to him, the greater will be his effectiveness in conforming us to Christ. See, God is worthy of all eternal praise and all glory. For while we were in our worst, Christ died for us. That we might have life and we might have life eternal in Him. And He's given us His Spirit, the Comforter, to lead and guide us and keep us in that straight and narrow path. Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Thank you by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have life, life eternal. And we can have that assurance as the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we can add that intimate relationship with Him. Lord, we thank You for that. We thank You for that hope of heaven. 
We thank you for the peace that you've given us. And we thank you that you're coming soon again. And all God's people said, Amen.